Welcome, everybody, to another edition here of Wellness Wednesday on the Canadian Football Perspective Podcast Network. Thank you, as always, for being here. My name is Marshall Ferguson at TSN underscore Marsh is where you can find me on social media. Very excited uh, to bring you a great interview with Jalen Acklin of the Ottawa Red Blacks coming up this week on the Daily News. Myself and Derek Taylor will give you the breakdown, of course. Uh, and I have got Saturday afternoon, Calgary at Toronto as Bo Levi Mitchell tries to overcome the uh, the loss to the BC Lions last Saturday. What a game, man. What a game. Like, that was... You want to talk about wellness, mental health? That was good for everybody's mental health. Watching Canadian football being played at the highest stage and Nathan Rourke storming his way down the field. And, uh, you know, as always, this podcast, especially the opening, is just kind of me opening the mic and seeing what comes up. And... Uh, I I just want to mention off the top here that there is so much strength and nobility and confidence and self-belief and all of these things that I think we all aspire to in Nathan Rourke. And I think that it makes us like him and appreciate him more than just, wow, he throws a football really far or, hey, he was born in Canada. Like those things are all great and they are selling points, but it's kind of the same idea of like, how do you identify yourself in your life? Is it by your work? Is it by the amount of money that you make, the car that you drive, the house that you have, or is it by the things that actually give you meaning and value in your life, being family and community and uh, being of service? And, and I feel like we kind of miss the forest for the trees sometimes. When we're talking about Nathan Workers, we're just like, hey, Canadian, uh, good, good, good player. And it's like, yeah, but do you know why you actually find value and meaning in watching Nathan work? It's because you're friggin' proud of him. Like, whether or not he's Canadian, if he were an American guy that were storming through the league and carrying himself the same way and being a leader and showing his vulnerability after throwing interceptions and finding a way to persevere, you would love him. You would absolutely love this guy. And the fact that he happens to be Canadian, just cherry on top. Really is. Really is. So uh, I want to say thank you, as always, to our good friends over at Fox 40. Uh, They make this all possible for us here at Canadian Football Perspective to be able to invest uh, our and specifically my time into doing this. I would not be able to invest it in them unless they had invested in us. And you can show your appreciation to them, of course, by going over to their website, fox40shop.com. Anything you want, use the promo code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your entire order. That will give you the ability to save a little bit of money, save tax on some stuff, and really just let them know that you appreciate their investment in us as we attempt to do some different things and some fun things. And of course, we build up and hopefully have maybe some second screen watch parties happening in the second half of the CFL season. Shh, shh, shh. Don't tell anybody. Specifically, don't tell anybody because we're trying to figure out how the hell to do it. Uh, but anyways, if we are able to get that off the ground, it will be because of our good friends over at Fox 40. So go support them. Fox40shop.com is the place that you can get all of your stuff. Now, today on Wellness Wednesday, I got an opening thought for you. I got a podcast clip that I love that I heard this week. Got a great interview with uh, Toronto Argonauts receiver Juwan Breskison, and I got a closing thought for you amongst all of that fray. So let's get into it here. The first thing that I wanted to throw out there was I've been reading this great book um, that is called Hero, uh, and it is by Meg Meeker, uh, who is the best-selling author of Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, and this book is called Hero, Being the Strong Father Your Children Need. My son Noah is uh, just about, by the time you're listening to this, going to be turning 23 months old. He is nearing the big O2. Is that what people call that? I know people say, ah, the big 4 Wow, you hit 40. Uh, the big O2, he is going to turn two years old coming up soon. And time is just flying way too fast. But I love reading these parenting books and being able to kind of better understand how to handle certain situations going forward. Of course, they're just books. You have to actually live these things and figure them out for yourself. But it's quotes like this that make me love this stuff. Okay, this is from chapter eight. It says, teach them courage and truth is the name of this chapter. And the opening of this says, the hallmark of a hero is courage. And one of your tasks as a dad is to teach your children how to live a courageous life. That's something they expect to learn from you. 
Being courageous has nothing to do with being physically strong or intellectually savvy, although courage can certainly make use of strength and smarts. But it is about having the internal fortitude to do what is right, true, and noble, no matter the personal cost to yourself. Courageous men suppress their fears to avoid spreading anxiety to others. They never let fear keep them from doing the right thing. They never let excuses stand in the way of necessary action. The reason that I bring this up, the reason that struck a chord with me is that I am perpetually, habitually somebody who in my life has dodged things that I am scared of. And I think that this is normal for so, 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 so many men. The idea of tax, like think about it on the smallest, most micro level or the biggest level that you want. It's totally up to you. But for me, it's like tax time. Oof. Hate it. Hate it. Like, I don't, I don't want to have to dig through. Oh, I got to get all those receipts. I got to find all that stuff. And pull it. I got to, who's going to do my, am I doing my own tax? No, I got to get somebody to do my taxes, man. Cause I don't want to do that. Who am I going to get? Oh, it's stressful. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll deal with it later. And then <laughs> the can gets kicked down the road. And then you end up paying interest because your taxes weren't filed on time. <laughs> Did waiting or avoiding it make anything better? Anything. Did it solve anything? The answer is always no. Always no. And yet, for the large majority of my life, I have been somebody who has just decided, oh, I'm, I'm scared of this. Uh, I don't want to do it. Uh, I'll deal with it later. And the longer you wait, the more difficult it becomes at the end or the more painful it becomes at the end, depending on the situation. So this quote here, courageous men suppress their fears to avoid spreading anxiety to others. They never let fear keep them from doing the right thing. They never let excuses stand in the way of necessary action. Taxes is the first one that comes to mind for me, but think about it for yourself. What is the thing that you are scared of, that you are uncomfortable with, that you are avoiding, and you are avoiding taking that necessary action? And you know it's necessary action but you're not willing to do it because you're scared of it or you're uncomfortable with it. Even this week, I've had to do things in my own personal life that have been uncomfortable to me, that have, uh, you know, I would say, elicited some fear in me to try and handle them. But I'm at a point now where I've decided I'm no longer going to allow that fear to win. Why? Because taking necessary action, regardless of how your emotions feel, that's, that's what it's about. That's how you were able to create some kind of progress. So uh, I really, uh, that one struck a chord for me this week when I read that little passage and I wanted to pass that on to you so that you can think about it in your own life. What are the things that you are avoiding as you move forward? Uh, next up for you here, I wanted to play this clip. I, I am a pretty consistent listener to a variety of different kind of well-being podcasts. And uh, one of the ones that really struck a chord with me very early on in this kind of journey, I would say, to better mental health and and recognizing strengths and weaknesses in myself and ways to attack them was uh, the one you feed. And if you are not familiar with uh, the one you feed parable, uh, it is essentially one evening an old Cherokee told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside all of us. One is evil. It is anger. It is envy. It is jealousy. It is uh, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, uh, self-pity. Uh, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, uh, ego. The other is good. It's joy. It's peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And the grandson thought about it for a minute, then asked his grandfather, well, which one wins? Which of the two wolves wins? And the grandfather said, the one you feed. And there's so many great different ways that this kind of spirals out is, you know, inside each of those wolves, the good and the bad, there is a good and a bad wolf. And the old joke is that it's just wolves all the way down. There's also all the kind of stories of, well, if you starve the original wolf, is it going to get so desperate that it's going to do anything to win? Do you still need to feed the bad wolf a little bit? Do you need to feed your guilt and resentment and anger just a little bit? Like, is that part of being human? Or do you just starve the bad wolf and hope that it dies off? Like there's, there's all these great different kind of offshoots of, of this old uh, kind of story that I, I believe my dad was actually the one who introduced it to me when I was going through some tough times um, just after university had finished. And uh, when I, I heard it, it kind of connected with me to the point where I actually have it framed up uh, in my home. 
is uh, is a poster of uh, two wolves. One is uh, you know happy looking and looks like it has an upright future and all the rest. And then the other one looks like it just finished murdering a cow uh, because it's very angry and its teeth are showing. And it's so that would be of course the bad wolf. But the one you feed podcast, uh, it, the whole idea around this podcast, and I highly recommend it, is that each of us have those wolves inside of us and how do we approach them? So they deal with a variety of different topics. And this week uh, they talked with Cute Blackson and he's a national best-selling author of You Are the One and his new book, The Magic of Surrender. And Cute can talk, man. Like he, he was wandering around pretty good on this, but I wanted to play this clip for you and then reflect on it a little bit. So here he is from the One You Feed podcast. I want to start with a line that comes from your bio. And I love this. You say, unlike those who promise to help people simply get what they want, Coot's work instead reveals to people what they have to give. Share a little bit about that and why that's your orientation. Yeah, look, I think many times, and I've worked with hundreds of people, I mean, thousands, to be honest, one-on-one. And what I've seen is many times we can achieve in the world, manifest in the world, succeed in the world, and we sometimes get what we set out to achieve. We achieve the thing, we get the place, we get that relationship, and we're still left with a feeling of dissatisfaction. Or we get what we thought we wanted only to realize that what we thought we wanted was not what we really wanted. It was just what we thought we wanted based on who we thought we were, but we weren't really in touch with what we really were. And so many times the idea of like, get what you want, I'm going to help you get what you want is great, but it can be very limiting because if you're not in touch with who you are, then what you think you want is not going to be what you really want. It's just going to be what you think you want based on who you think you are. And what you think you want, even when you achieve it, it's not going to fulfill you because it's not what you really want. And so I think it can leave us empty-handed, which is why a lot of people attain goals, dreams, and desires and still are miserable. A lot of people attain wealth, what have you, and aren't really happy. I've worked with a lot of billionaire clients. I've worked with a lot of successful achievers, CEOs, entrepreneurs, have every reason to be happy, and they're not. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with wealth and success and making money. Nothing wrong with that in the material world. But... It's not the source of happiness. It's not the source of fulfillment. In fact, sometimes our goals and intentions and dreams can be projections of unmet needs from childhood. You know, I wasn't loved. I wasn't valued. Dad didn't spend enough time. I was bullied. I felt unworthy. I felt not enough. I felt unloved. You know, I didn't have strong self-esteem. But if I can just make that billion dollars or get that body or win that Oscar or be famous, then... I'm going to be enough. And nothing outside of us really can make us feel enough unless we feel that inside. And so for me, the orientation is less about helping people just simply achieve. It's more about helping people connect with who they really are. Because I think when we connect with who we really are, underneath the patterns and layers of conditioning, underneath the stories and the labels, the wounds, the hurts, when we really connect with our true essence, our authentic nature as whole, perfect, and complete, when we connect with our true self as spiritual beings, when we connect with the perfection of our essence, then I think we're less motivated by inadequacy, insecurity, not enoughness. The less we seek that in the world, the more we can come from a place of wholeness. And from that place, I think the more we're able to truly navigate and see authentically what our motivation is and what we truly authentically want then our ladder is on the right wall. You know, then it's more about this is what's true. This is what I'm here to do. This is who I am. Then life becomes about expressing that and we're no longer trying to get somewhere in order to feel something. And so for me, all sorts of suffering comes from not knowing who we truly are, knowing that we're perfect. Like as children, you look at a baby or a child that's very recently born, they're in touch with their essence. They're in touch with their aliveness. They're in touch with their joy. You know, a child will jump on a table and sing and doesn't care if it's not Bruno Mars, you know, it's just for the joy of it. And I think there's a reason when we look into a child's eyes, we melt, you know, we're reminded of that beauty, that innocence, that perfection that we all were at one point. A child will run naked and they don't care if they're fat or what people think or what they look like on Instagram. A child will go and hug you and it's just so open. 
yeah, what happens? You know, by the time we hit 20, 30, 40, we're all kind of contorted and have all sorts of defense mechanisms and our hearts closed and we're sabotaging and screwing up relationships. And so what happened to that free, flowing, open-hearted, you know, energetic, alive beingness that we were? We're born, we incarnate into this human experience, we meet our parents. Our parents, they're just doing the best that they can do based on their childhood and their upbringing and their grandparents. So now we're born into a preset framework and pattern of conditioning from even parents and ancestors and society and media and religion and, you know, this culture. And so maybe dad was an alcoholic. Maybe mom had mental health issues. Maybe they were fighting all the time. Maybe they just went around. Maybe they were great people, but they didn't know how to, let's say, meet our emotional needs. And so what starts happening is we begin to two things, disconnect, shut down, not feel. We begin to suppress all sorts of pain, hurt, guilt, shame, all sorts of pain in order to function and survive. And so the unfelt feelings begin to layer and layer and layer and build up. And so our true light, our true essence, what we really are, kind of gets buried underneath the unprocessed feeling, the unprocessed incomplete feelings and emotions that we've learned to not deal with. And then we develop all sorts of, shall we say, defense mechanisms in order to not feel this pain again. We erect walls and we disconnect and we go into our mind and we become overly analytical and we close our hearts to never feel that pain again. And so we also learn, I would say, a way of being in the world, the sense of who do I need to be in order to get love, validation and approval? And we develop roles and masks and personas and we become this version of ourselves that we think we need to be in order for dad and mom and society and parents and everyone to love us. And we become independent. We become funny. For me, I thought I needed to be the perfect son, get all A's, the responsible one, take care of everybody. And I thought that's who I needed to be in order to get love. And, and there was so much of myself that I ended up betraying and disconnecting from. And so we contort ourselves into this version of ourselves that isn't who we really are, but we're conditioned to believe that's who we are. And now we're not really in touch with who we really are. And from that disconnection, we end up going into life, creating our life, setting our goals, trying to get what we think we want. And it's never fulfilling. And so I think when we can peel those layers away of conditioning and really connect with what we truly are, who we truly are, then we can live life authentically. And I think that is real power. I think it takes tremendous courage to be who we really are in a world that is constantly conditioning us to not be that. And so that's kind of what I mean. I warned you, you can talk. <laughs> it's great stuff though. Really, really is. It, it's why it caught my ears. I was listening to that podcast. It was The first thing I thought was, damn, this answer's taken a long time, seven minutes. And then the second thing that I thought was, can you imagine, by the way, going on radio and giving a seven minute answer? Like they ask one question, you answer for seven minutes and they're like, okay, thank you for being here. Bye. That's the beauty of podcasting, man. You can just talk and talk and talk and talk. But uh, there's something really interesting there in a couple of different things that I wanted to just reflect on that might've caught your ear as well. One is the arrival fallacy. The idea that when I get to blank, I will be happier. If I have, uh, you know, I hit a certain amount of money that I made, I will be happier. Or uh, if I get a promotion to this job, I will be happier. The arrival fallacy is just that fallacy. It's it's not true. Like that's why you have all those people who are ex extremely successful in whatever field that they work in, and they're not happy. It's because they are kind of out in out of integrity with the things that they value and the ways that uh, human beings are wired to actually find meaning in their life. So none of the destinations matter if you don't know yourself. Was a quote that he had in the middle of that that answer, and that's pretty powerful. Like none of the destinations matter. If you don't know yourself, I mean, it's, you could put that in a box and send it to any era of human civilization and apply it to history and the future of where people are going. I, it's just, it's such a wide ranging thought, but I love that idea of none of the destinations matter in the arrival fallacy. If you don't know yourself. Um, the other quote that he had there was all sorts of suffering come from not knowing who we truly are. It's the same thing, but the amount of suffering that happens in the world, how much of that could be prevented if we actually knew ourselves better, if we could identify ourselves better, if we understood ourselves better. That's something that I'm, I'm constantly thinking about, wondering about. And I think that that's a healthy connection to have with yourself is to try and understand yourself for the purposes of avoiding that suffering. 
and not avoiding as in turning and running the other direction at all costs. Like I talked about off the top here with taxes and wanting to avoid and not really feeling comfortable and being stressed out about, I'm saying you can avoid ever having to feel that discomfort by just knowing yourself better. Like how simple is that? Like how much better does that feel to truly be in touch with yourself and wake up every morning and be like, I know who I am, I'm comfortable with who I am. I'm honest about who I am. And then you don't have to go through all the other BS that comes with the whole idea of the arrival fallacy of, well, I'm going to pretend that I'm somebody else and that I'm going to, uh, you know, put a mask on every day and go to work and be miserable, but act like I'm happy and no, do what makes you happy. Like, I understand that there's limitations to these kind of things, but like, that's where people, I feel like very often lose their ways on this. And when I mentioned masks, like I, I want to do a podcast at some point later on, on this great mask analogy. Uh, that I read in a different book that's called How to Raise a Boy, but essentially it was talking about, uh, you know, the real Coles notes on this because I don't want to spoil a future episode. But uh, a lot of people think that when a, when a young boy or a young child puts on a mask uh, and they're trying to protect themselves as in like, oh, you know, I'm tougher than I actually am. And they're trying to cover up. And that's one way that they wear the mask. But a lot of young men, there's a different way that they wear the mask. They put the mask over their face and their face molds to fit what that mask is so you have to decide what mask you want your children to be wearing because they will mold themselves into it and that analogy i found to be pretty powerful because i had always thought like you know, oh you're playing dress up and you want to be somebody else and you put a mask in front and it just blocks yeah but over time you put the mask in front of the face enough and you're going to end up having your face turn into that mask you're going to become that person that you were pretending to be over time and I think certainly that applies to adults as well. That's not just children. Like if you go into any situation in your life pretending for an extended period of time to be something that you are not, A, you're going to be miserable. B, you're going to end up essentially over time converting yourself into whatever that thing was that you were pretending to be. And then once you get to becoming that thing that you, you were pretending to be, you're not even going to be happy because you didn't want to be that thing. You were just putting a mask on. So that's a, that's a great thought from Cute as well on that one. And then my, my last little bit on this and the way that he kind of approached it was, I got to admit, that line about when you look into a child's eyes, we melt because we're reminded of that beauty and that innocence. Uh, with a 23-month-old son, anybody who's listening to this who has young children or if you're a grandparent and you see it, like it's, if that line doesn't make you feel emotional, I don't really think you're in touch with the innocence that so many of us lack. And as he said, we get hardened and we mess up relationships and uh, we close ourselves off and we become isolationists, whatever that looks like for you on a basic human to human interaction level to look into a child's eyes. I'm, I've always been interested in the idea of like, why does this feel so natural? So normal? Like I used to coach kids camps at McMaster and sometimes kids would just like fall in love with my energy just because I was like fun sports guy who was football player and they wanted to be around it. And, but then you'd start to sit down and communicate with them. Like we know anytime a kid gets into a, a physical um, altercation with another child and you take them off to the side and you say, Hey, Hey, look at me, look at me. And you look them straight in the eyes and you have the conversation of what's wrong. Like when you separate them and you're able to look into their eyes and you see, it's just that innocence, like that, they want to do the right thing. They just need the guidance of it. And we melt when we look into the eyes of that beauty and that innocence, because as Cute says in that clip, we wish we had that. Like we are lacking that as adults. So maybe that's something to take away from this week's episode is try to, try to harbor some of that, that innocence, try to tap back into your younger self and try to understand how do I take the energy of a young child, the trust that they have and the belief and the energy and the, the ability to, to live freely and dance on the table and run around naked, as he says, with a diaper or anything on, which, hey, my son is very, very talented. He certainly qualifies as the run around naked uh, and I have absolutely no ego about it. Uh, <laughs> but maybe that's something that, uh, that you could try and apply to your life. Cause that's certainly something that, um, that I, I would like to be able to do more. And it's, it's not easy all the time, but 
it is certainly something that is worth attempting. Uh, let's get to our interview this week with Juwan Briskison of the uh, of the Toronto Argonauts. Enough rambling on from me here, reflecting on all these sort of things. Let's hear uh, from one of the, I think, really true leaders in the CFL when it comes to mental health discussion, openness, vulnerability. Uh, he is a very talented football player, uh, but as is the purpose of this podcast, some reflections, some different clips, some different quotes, and tie it all into the Canadian Football League because that is why you are here and that is how you have found this podcast. Juwan is is really, really wise uh, and I think he has an incredible future in front of him here. So I wanted you to be able to hear from him in his own words on Wellness Wednesday here on CFP. Juwan Breskison of the Toronto Argonauts uh, had a great catch up with you in the preseason in that uh, shootout against yeah. the Hamilton Tiger Cats up at Guelph. I know training camp up at Guelph was uh, was good for you guys, and you felt very strong about your team then. How do you feel about the Argos right now? I know you guys have uh, been able to string together a couple of wins here, Wolfville, and then go on the road into Saskatchewan, all the rest. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty – I'm confident in my team and uh, the players that we have. Um, I still feel like, you know, there's some things that we're figuring, it, figuring out, uh, you know, as far as our identity – and, you know, I think once those things start to click, it's it's going to be real fun. Uh, but right now it's just, you know, trying to put everything together. We've had some injuries and not that, you know, those are excuses for any of the losses, but, you know, it's part of the game. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, certain guys have to step in, make plays. And, um, you know, I think we're on the right track. Yeah. And, and I think hearing you talk about that just makes me feel like it's a journey, man. And you know that you've been around long enough to know that the first month of the season, you cannot make grand judgments on your team or how good or how bad it's just like hey man weather the storm keep balling let's see what happens kind of thing but um the purpose of this podcast is uh to talk about a journey of a different type which is uh kind of your trip through mental health and awareness and i know that you're very active on social media telling people hey mental health check like how are we doing today right And, and i love that man because that's such a simple gesture to be able to extend to people and when they see a big body talented receiver like yourself throwing that out there they're like whoa man like that's it's not something i see a whole lot from my professional athletes tell me where the origin of of your decision to be active and outward on social media about checking in with people came from what was the motivation um i think like just to be honest just going through my own stuff mentally yep. um dealing with anxiety <laughs> um dealing with depression um, you know, I don't even know when the first time that I felt like I was dealing with anxiety or dealing with some sort of depression. I don't remember how far it goes back. Um, but I remember, you know, kind of going through a lot of that stuff in college, hmm. uh, to the point where I didn't even know if I wanted to play football anymore. Um, and then I, you know, got drafted to a great organization in Calgary and they brought back that kind of that fun and love for football. And I didn't feel like I was like working. I was just showing up and having fun. And, you know, obviously going to three straight Grey Cups uh, makes things a lot better as well. But for me, I think things were a lot, um, were very um, heightened in during the pandemic. Um, Cause I think a lot of people were like trying to figure out life. Like how do we kind of live through this and uh, it was a, it took a a very heavy mental toll on me. Um, And there was a point where I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do uh, because obviously we weren't weren't playing football. And for a lot of us, that's our primary source of income. And, you know, to be out of football for um, a long period of time, nobody um, was expecting that, especially when you're healthy, right? Like everybody's healthy and everybody's, you know, at home trying to figure out what they're going to do for work. Some guys had jobs, some guys didn't. Um, So for me, like that kind of um, just scenario that I was in, was something that nobody, like I, there wasn't anybody that I could talk to that's been through it because no one lived through anything like that. Right. So um, I remember talking to my girlfriend and she was just telling me like, you need to find something that is going to be uh, like, give you that same joy that football does or sports does. And uh, I was, at the time I was streaming on Twitch and it was just for fun. I was like, I, I play a lot of video games. Uh, I think I'll always play video games. Um, and I was like, I might as well like 
I guess, try and entertain people uh, while I play. And I was on there with my, my boys, Hugh Canvey Williams and Devaris Daniels. We would, you know, get together and play a lot. Um, but then I also started implementing these mental health streams. Uh, I called them mental Mondays. So every Monday I would get on my stream and I didn't really have a big following, but the mental health stream seemed to like get a lot of people's attention, especially fans um, in the CFL. I would do it around lunchtime. <clears throat> so at like 12 p.m. Eastern, um, I'd have these mental Mondays where I just fire up the stream and I'd literally just sit in front of the camera and there would be people in my chat uh, from the Arg like Argo fan base, like all around the CFL. Um, I probably would average like 20 to 30 viewers at that time, which is a, a decent amount for a first time streamer. And it's literally just fan me and the fans and or me and people in the chat just talking and talking about mental health and talking about what we're going through because everybody was going through the same thing. And um, you know, certain weeks I'd, I'd have like a topic, uh, say like, you know, anxiety. And then, you know, I talk about my experience with anxiety. They talk about their experience with anxiety. And I just, um, you know, just came to the conclusion that, you know, it's important to talk about these things because there's somebody out there that is dealing with or going through what you're going through or something similar. And I was always nervous to you know, talk about mental health or, you know, even use my Twitter platform for, um, you know, just speaking about things that I enjoy or things that I find are important because of like, you know, people judging you or this guy wants attention, blah, blah, blah. But once I put that to the side, I really started noticing that there was a lot of people that enjoyed what I had to say. And uh, nine times out of 10 felt the same way that I felt. So, um, I, that's how I just got into, into mental health. And, you know, now I want to get into sports psychology. I want to work with athletes. I want to work with teams. So I actually want to go back to school for that. And wow. um, yeah, I have some plans in the future uh, just to kind of make mental health cool and talking about it. Cool. And it doesn't have to be like, so like intimidating. Yeah. And when I hear you say that you were nervous to, to use your platform for th even things that you enjoy, I find that interesting because I've even experienced that in my own use of Twitter, where it's like, you know, I want to talk about F1, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm scared as soon as I tweet it. And this is the, the fickle nature of social media, right? Is people come to me because I'm a CFL guy. They want their CFL stuff. Well, the first time that I'm quote tweeting, you know, a formula one thing, are they going to look at me and be like, unfollow and be, and be gone. But it's then the whole idea that like social media, the purpose of it is that we drive our validation through numbers of follows and engagement and numbers and all those things. Mm -hmm. And when you're able to basically split those apart and look at what really matters, it's like, it's not the numbers that matter. It's not the quantity. It's the quality of the conversations that you're having. So when you say 20 to 30 people following you on a stream and having that conversation on mental Mondays, it's like, that's really powerful because yes, that is the idea of people reaching out to a professional athlete and having that conversation on that platform. But it's also the idea that, you are instructing to a larger group, almost in like a butterfly effect that anybody can have this conversation. Yeah. So some, somebody pops in there for five minutes and they see you and people talking about it. Then they go home. Maybe they're sitting at the dinner table and they go, you know, I had the most amazing thing today. I, I randomly saw this. I clicked on this link. I went to this guy's page and he was talking about it. He's like, you know, maybe we should talk with our daughter about it. I don't know if we're really paying it. And all of a sudden it's like, it just spreads and spreads and spreads. Right. And, and I think that that's an incredibly powerful thing that you did. The, the other thing I'm interested in from hearing you talk there, John, is that like, I talked to Brad Sinopoli not long ago when I uh, went, went out fishing with him because he's now uh, the, the master fisherman out on the Rideau river in Ottawa. Yeah. And, and we were talking not on mic or anything, um, but just about his journey and his post playing career. And he identified as football guy for so long. Yeah. Like he's, he's the Peterborough high school all-star at uh, Crestwood. And then he's the university of Ottawa, Gigi's Heckright trophy award winner. And then he's the next mm -hmm. great Canadian quarterback. And then he's a great receiver in Ottawa and on and on and on. And it's like, all of a sudden it's just like kind of done. And when yeah. I hear, when I hear you say, you know, I wasn't really sure I wanted to keep playing football when I was in university because I was dealing with this anxiety and depression. It's like, to me, that sounds like you identifying as football guy. It's like your worth is football. It's attached to football 
and then the pandemic hits after you've already had this great career. And again, you're faced with the, the question of football guy, or am I something more like, how do I find meaning and value in my life and the things yeah. that I want to accomplish? Talk to me about that. Like finding, finding meaning in more than just football for you. Yeah. It's funny because, um, like that, that was my mentality for a long time. Um, but I actually had the privilege of being in the locker room with a lot of great, um, in Calgary, a lot of great, um, veterans, uh, you know, Bakari Grant, Brandon Smith, Jamar Wall, Anthony Parker, you know, guys that are like, that, that are like entrepreneurs, Emmanuel Davis. There's so many guys that have like their own, um, businesses outside of football. And, they made me start thinking just by having conversations with them, you know, about investments and, you know, being smart with my money and putting my money towards things that are going to grow because, you know, we're playing the CFL. We're not making millions of dollars. Maybe over your career, you might hit that amount, but it's still money that can set you up for, you know, a better life um, when you're done. So for me, uh, in my first couple of years, I started kind of thinking about myself as like a possible entrepreneur, right? So my uh, fourth year in Calgary, I bought a condo and it's an Airbnb now. So, you know, I had that entrepreneur mindset, but I entrepreneurial mindset, but I still didn't know exactly who I was. Right. And um, I think it did. It took something like the pandemic for me to soul search and you know, figure out what I want to do. And um, I had the opportunity of working with Jonathan Hood at the head of the game. Um, he's a former linebacker in uh, Toronto and Hamilton. And um, I do online mentoring with um, high school students. Wow. And that's when I first got my first taste of like mental health and like the importance of having that conversation. Um, just, just like you said, that family member that <clears throat> may have popped into my stream and they're like, you know, this is important to talk about. I'm not a professional. I can't give professional advice, but one thing I feel is important, like for your like a first step, other than acknowledging that you're dealing with some sort of mental health, um, <clears throat> is having a conversation with somebody. And I think like just a simple conversation can go a long way because a lot of times we hold things in, right? And we don't want to talk about stuff because we may not think it's a big deal or not know who we can talk to. <clears throat> so for me, when I figured out that mental health gave me talking about mental health or mentoring or, you know, the idea of being a sports psychologist gave me that same feeling as being a football player. That's when I knew that I was um, onto something. And um, another thing that was a blessing and a curse during the pandemic was forcing guys to think outside of um, football and either getting a job and possibly hating it, but you got to get the job because you have to pay bills or, you know, some guys became real estate agents. Some guys started their own trucking businesses, stuff like that. And now you get a taste of, okay, I have this set up for myself outside of football, but I still have football. So if anything happens, I can go back to this. And then there's the guys that haven't figured it out yet. And that's okay. Everybody figures it out on their own time. But the pandemic definitely forced people to think outside of football. And we lived without football for a year. Um, so it was interesting when, when uh, we got back to playing and, you know, you go through the CBA negotiations and stuff like that, because, you know, guys already knew what it felt like to go without football. So um yeah, I get uh, that was just kind of my um, <clears throat> insight on, you know, the whole transitional thing. And I haven't transitioned yet. Yeah. But I'm, I'm pretty confident in myself um, if I have to. It sounds like you found joy in being able to, to share insight. Like you're saying, it's like professionals who are professionally trained that have degrees and have worked through those things. Yes, absolutely. They are the ones that people should be going to for the best quality of mental health care. But I also don't think that there's as large a divide between the small conversations that you have around the dinner table as there is with the professionals, because, uh, you know, talk to Brian Burnham on last week's edition of this show. And he was talking about simply having the vulnerability to talk about his personal issues with his teammates 
Yeah. And it's like, those aren't always deep conversations. It's not like they're leaning in and going, okay, it sounds like you're going through this syndrome. And I think we can address it by working yeah. through this type of therapy or <clears throat> like your teammates aren't doing that, man. Your teammates are just sitting there and going, okay, dude, I hear you. Yeah, that's cool. And sometimes that's literally all it takes is to be able to have somebody go, yeah, I hear you. That's, Hey man, I got stuff too. And the reason that I started this podcast and I wanted to reach out to guys like you is that I genuinely believe based on my own personal life experience, every single person, every single person has something. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like that's, that is to be human is to have something Mm -hmm. that is in the back of your mind that is bothering you that is unaddressed that is that needs to be brought into the forefront that needs to be discussed that needs to be processed too and the people that say i don't have anything like those are the ones who just haven't become self-aware enough to realize that everybody has something right and so you recognized you were something and then you flipped the script on it and said okay i've become self-aware enough to realize i have something I talk to other people, they've got something. I've seen the ways that we've been able to help each other. How do I grow this and turn this into possibly being a major part of my life? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Um, and, you know, just to kind of have that clarity and, and, you know, being vulnerable is a big part of even Huge. getting to that point. Right. And, um, especially as a man, as a football player, as a, you know, big football player, you're like being vulnerable. You think it's a sign of it's weakness. Right. <clears throat> but for me, I feel like it's a sign of strength because you're putting yourself out there and you're putting yourself out there for people's criticism and, you know, for people to, you know, give their negative feedback on what you're doing. But once you put yourself out there and you realize that, like, you know, I don't care really what anybody says, you know, sometimes some things get to you. But for the most part, I I am am very happy with where I am mentally and, you know, all the progress that I made um, throughout, you know, the past two years. And, you know, even something, you know, asking that question on Twitter that I ask on a, like a weekly basis, mental health check, how's everybody doing? You know, how do you deal with stress? How's your week going? You know, um, it, it's me putting myself out there. And because most of the time I might be dealing with my own stuff and, you know, hearing, you know, what other people are going through or having conversations with people on Twitter may get me through, you know, say little things that I'm going through or may get, you know, the other person um, through what they're going through. So, um, I just overall think it's important to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to ask you this, and I know that it's a, a much larger conversation. I'm sure if you and I went to, uh, you know, a seminar or a conference, this would be like the entire three hour morning session would be spent on this question. So it's unfair yeah. to, it's unfair to ask, but I do find asking you guys, CFL players, this question, interesting. How do you define masculinity? Like mm -hmm. how, how do you define masculinity? And again, you're smiling and I am too, because we know what masculinity is thought of in the grand landscape, the perceived notion of it. There's this masculinity, like capital M masculinity that is applied to football. The pads go on, you're growling, you're spitting, you're, you know, all those things that are just in movies. But then it's the question of like, okay, but what is it really? Because it's not the thing that you see of, uh, you know, like Lawrence Taylor in any given Sunday at middle linebacker beating the hell out of people and talking smack. And it's like, that, that can be part of it. You're allowed to have that, that little piece on your, your man definition, if you will. Uh, but I wonder how you look at that and how you, when you speak to even like a high school student athlete, that's a male, like, yeah, how would you define masculinity to that kid? It's so tough. And honestly, like, I don't even think I can give a straight forward answer to that because every characteristic that you can give to being masculine, you can also give that to, you know, being feminine. And, you know, I, I've had a lot of great male role models in my life that have, you know, shaped me into who I am, but I've also been raised by a lot of strong women. So it's hard for me to say what's masculine and what's not because 
you know, some things that you may say is masculine, you know, my great grandmother or my mother, they have those, you know, traits of, you know, being a hard worker, being a leader, um, you know, whatever it may be. So I can't even really give a, a straightforward answer to that because <clears throat> I don't really think there is one. Hmm. Um, in, in my opinion, like, you know, I just feel like I'd be lying if I just made <laughs> made something up. No, you know I, I, mean? so, I respect that. And I, it's the, I actually like the answer because everybody has a different opinion on what that word means. And yeah. when you've been surrounded by feminine power and strength of will and character and it's it's funny because like those are things that we do associate with masculinity but they're not that's not mutually exclusive to men obviously mm -hmm. and i find that to be like the term of toxic masculinity right is one that has come up and that has been yeah. applied to a lot of issues that men put themselves into whether it's drinking drugs sex like whatever the vice is you apply that to the way that men act but in the same way that you're talking about that, like any of those vices are born out of things like ego, are born out of not caring about others, are born about lack of compassion, lack of empathy, lack of understanding. Like it's all of those things can be applied across the spectrum. So you're not wrong because yeah. any of these topics that we used to define either the genders or non-binary gender descriptions, like it can be anywhere across the spectrum and, and be free flowing. And I think that that, honestly, your answer is an important point in that conversation, which is why do we even bother defining these things with concrete language then? I, I mean, I just think it's something that like, like, you know, throughout mankind, society has made certain things masculine, certain things not masculine. Some of the baddest, you know, dirtiest dudes in the CFL are some of the most empathetic um sensitive charismatic people in the locker room you know what i mean so if you knew that about them off the, off the field but you you know like this dude's you know the most masculine person on the field then it's like well i feel like those are conflicting opinions right so you know it's just if you're if you're going based off of you know just how somebody looks or how somebody acts when they're doing certain things um, I don't think that's a, a you know, good, like, um, it's a fair, like, assessment on who they are. So, yeah, that, that's a tough question. I've never actually been asked that, but I, you know, I still stand with what I said as far yeah. as, like, I feel like there's no straightforward answer to that. And everybody's going to have their own view on masculinity based off their own personal experiences and, you know, how they view the world. So, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Yeah, yeah, I do love that, man. I love the uh, the perspective on it, which is certainly uh, one of understanding and respecting the fact that you can you can approach that in all sorts of different ways. It doesn't really matter, right? I want to uh, want to ask you before I get you out of here, what are the the next steps for you in in this journey that you've been on? Because obviously, you mentioned you want to go back to school. Possibly, you want to be able to turn this into a post playing career. I from hearing you talk and the influence that I guarantee you have every time that you connect with a young man, woman, boy, girl, student, athlete, scholar, like whatever it is, it, that, that has to fuel you in ways that are unique and, and inspirational to both you and them. So uh, what do you want to turn this into? What is the vision in front of you right now? Um, see, me, I have to ground myself sometimes because I get these, crazy ideas of, you know <laughs> what i want to do there's nothing wrong with dreaming man no for sure <laughs> what i want to do what i want to be uh, you know i think i, I, I want to get my master's i want to get my master's in mental health counseling so i you know have the uh credentials to work with uh sports teams on top of you know being an athlete being a black male being a you know champion a professional uh in a professional sports league um, I think I have a lot of those things going for me, but I definitely the credentials. And I think I want to get to, you know, being getting my doctorate in some sort of uh, mental health. Um, I don't know, certification. And um, I see myself potentially writing a book down the line um, as a journalism major in college. So 
writing is fun for me, interviewing people is fun for me. So I want to write a book. Um, but then I'm, I'm, I don't know if you noticed on Twitter as well, I'm into, you know, the crypto realm too. So those are my main things that I really enjoy that make me happy. And those are the two things that I'm going to stick with. Um, so the mental health thing is very important for me. Crypto is fun. And, um, you know, I just think that that's what it's about. Like once you're done, if you can, you know, have fun and make a living out of it, then like, that's like the ideal life that I would like to live. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think just giving back to athletes and <clears throat> being that like source of wisdom and, uh, you know, just a, a place that they can come and, and talk to me and um, have a judgment free zone and, just get as, you know, if I can just give as much back to the younger athletes, um, I feel like that would be, um, you know, just great for me post football. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm pulling for you, man. I think you can accomplish whatever the hell you want. If you want to go double doctorate, I don't care. You, you, yeah. can, get the, you can get that thing done. But yeah. um, thank you for this. I do appreciate it. It's uh, it's great to be able to catch up with you again. And uh, and I hope I see you on the field. I know we're not talking about the field, on the field stuff in this, yeah. but I like watching you play football too. So yeah, be, I like be, playing football too. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be nice to see you out there sooner rather than later. But thank you, man. I do appreciate it. And I know our listeners are going to really enjoy this. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I love the answer there from Juan about masculinity because he led me right into it. Like the idea of what is masculinity to you and him, you know, I was expecting him to say, oh, you know, it's, it's being okay in your own skin or it's, and he gave me an even better answer, which was can't define it. Like it, masculine traits can come from anywhere, from any person. And how do you even define masculine traits? Like what, what are those? And I think it's a great conversation that you'll likely hear revolving throughout this podcast at various points when I talk to different people. Uh, but certainly hearing it from him as somebody who puts legitimate work into this kind of stuff, I thought was really intriguing. I will, uh, I'll leave you this week with a great quote from another book. Uh, it's called To Be a Man, A Guide to True Masculine Power to tie into the idea of masculinity here. Uh, this is from uh, early on in the book. It just reads like this. Staying present with your shame takes far more courage than converting it into aggression. Neither indulging in your shame nor avoiding it furthers the authentic warrior in you. The one who can step into the fire, deep into the challenge, and remain present without numbing himself or emotionally disconnecting. Being present with your shame takes guts. It also deepens your capacity for vulnerability and compassion, and therefore also your capacity to be in a truly intimate relationship with yourself or those that you hold dear. That's a great quote. I think that kind of sums up the way that Juan Bresquez uh, displayed his ability to talk about these sort of things. Thank you as always for tuning into Wellness Wednesday. I hope that you all have a beautiful week. Be good to each other. And I will talk to you coming up next week right here on CFP.